We're going to take our Bibles, the book of Matthew this morning in chapter number four. Matthew chapter number four. And once you have found that, we're going to begin reading in verse number eight. And yes, I did on purpose not uh, put all of the temptation of Christ in there. I would just want to zero in on this one part. Once you have found that, would you please stand out of respect of God's word? Matthew chapter four, starting in verse eight. And again, the devil taketh him into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only Shalt thou serve. Father, as we look at your word, I pray you'll bless this time, the reading of it, and help me, Lord, as I explain this important concept today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our teacher, for being our guide. I pray you will work in hearts. Draw anyone that does not know you as their personal Savior to yourself. Father, it must be a drawing of you. It must be, Holy Spirit, a convincing that happens inside of the heart of man by you. You have been given to this world, Holy Spirit, to convince men of their sin because they believe not on you. So I pray that you will draw. Thank you, Father, for what you'll do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Worship is an incredible thing. We as Christians, as we look at how we are to worship, most importantly, who we are supposed to worship, it gives us an identity with our God. In this world, though, as it was described in the Old Testament and also the New, there is a word called idols or idolatry that has always been rampant. Matter of fact, we see it early on in the book of Genesis And I'd like to explain idolatry by way of definition, and then we'll give some explanation to some things that I feel that are important biblically. Uh, Idols or idolatry is this. It is an image, form, or representation, usually of a man or another animal, consecrated as an object of worship or a deity that the pagans or lost world would begin to fall down and worship and try to, to uh, uh, receive powers or receive answers from. Idols are usually statues or images carved out of wood or stone or formed of metals, particularly silver or gold. Psalm 96 talks about the gods of the nations. Matter of fact, when you think of the uh, Exodus and coming out of Egypt, many of the plagues that were given at that time period by God to the Egyptians were mocking the gods of the Egyptians. So an idol is an image. It is that of a man, like in the book of Daniel when Nebuchadnezzar had an image made to himself. And I'll talk about some others in a little bit. That they have an image that would reflect on that person. That when the people would see that, the nation would see him, they would reflect and and associate that image with a person. Or it could be an animal. Many of the gods of the Egyptians and on through were, were animals, creatures. It was also a person that can be loved. And this is where we'll be parking a little bit more today. And honored 
to adore. As one man would say, the prince was the idol of the people. And so there can be men or women that can be truly worshipped. And that's what we see a lot of that happening today. So idolatry is an incredible, powerful thing that has been going on since the beginning. And uh, as you know, your preacher got saved out of some a good bit of garbage when he was a teenager until I finally got the gospel, understood the light of the gospel, and came out of the darkness that was really, 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 really bad. And uh, when I get into preaching these type of messages, what I know is I, personally, am always under attack because the devil doesn't like me revealing who he is and also showing his objective. To understand the enemy is critical if we as a Christian soldiers are going to be successful. We must understand the enemy and the strategy, not only towards us, but also this world that we live in. Sadly, in every generation, it seems like Satan is winning these wars, or I should say these battles. And we see in most generations, less people that have believed in the scriptures and the Lord Jesus Christ than those who have put Christ to the side and have chosen another form of worship or another way to worship every generation. Um, I know that we are seeing, and, and we're going to talk about this at more length later on this year, the last days. We're going to take some time looking at that. But even in there, it talks of doctrines that satanic type of doctrines, things that are going to be prevalent in the world, the closer we get to the coming of Lord Jesus Christ in the air. And so typically when we think of idolatry, we're usually, as the first definition would show, is you have this image of a person. Uh, doesn't matter if they're tall, short, fat, whatever. They have this person that is one that is an image of, and then people would funnel their um, uh, minds, their prayers through that image, believing that that is connected to the God who they can't see, and then they are able to receive blessings or protection. And those are some of the, the key things that idolatry is about. I want to receive a blessing, I want to receive something, and I want to be protected. Those are the two core things of what idolatry was all about. Uh, it goes beyond, when I say blessing, what I mean is that I have possessions or I have powers. I have something that puts me beyond other people because of my sacrifices, my giving, my, my, my hurting of self, whatever is going on, and, and, they, and they begin to do that. So, so I, you say, so, so typically when you think of America, not many uh, maybe would say, well, here is the image of, of American culture, and here is their idol. Okay? It's, it's really hard to say that right here is what American idol would be. Because we don't necessarily have an image or something that we would fall down before and say, this is our God. You know, Egypt, excuse me, when Israel came out of Egypt, uh, they went to Aaron and said, get up, make us a God that we can say he brought us out of the land of Egypt. So they get their earrings, they get the gold, and they melt it down, and they make a calf. So they make a creature that began to receive the honor for doing, are you, are you following me? For doing what God did. 
God brought them out of Egypt. So now they're saying, give us something that we can look at that is now the one we're going to honor and glorify because it brought us out. Man does typically want to see it's God. Christianity, we walk by faith, not by sight. I have not personally seen Jesus Christ, yet I love him. I've not seen Jehovah. I've not seen the Spirit of God. I've not seen physically. And yet I know He dwells within me. He's alive and well. He's real. So man's nature is to create something that they can fall down before and this becomes the idol. But America, typically, it's, it's not about the visual. Um, just because there's not a visual statue doesn't mean it's not idolatry. You don't need gold or silver or wood or stone hone out and cut into an image for a person to have idolatrous thoughts inside of their mind and their and their hearts. When you look back at book of Genesis and you see how how uh, Satan began to uh, attack and deceive and lie to Eve, you'll remember there were no images. There was not one, one thing that he would say, now bow down and worship to this one thing. He never said that. When you look at what Jesus went through, there was this principle of showing the kingdoms, but he didn't say, and by the way, this is my image If you bow down before this piece of gold, then I'll give you all of these things. Even in the future, whenever the church is lifted and we are taken out by way of rapture, during that time period, there will be a spiritual battle that is going to go on like no other time. When I say that, Jesus himself called it great tribulation unlike any other time that was been on this earth. And when what's going to happen is this. There's going to be a worship that is going to be established. Even the Jews are going to have their third temple. And all this worship is going to be happening. They're going to be sacrificing during the first three and a half years. And, and the world is going to have this, this, this uh, as the Revelation describes her, is the mother of harlots. It's the, it's the, world's, it's the world's religion. And it's not Jesus, by the way. And so the world is going to be sucked into this. And Satan then is going to, after this whole concept of, 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 of governments and economy and religion connecting together, midway through the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to go forward creating an image. The false prophet is going to be behind saying, worship this image That is an image of the beast. Okay? Image of the beast. So the Antichrist is that beast that there will be an image of. Just like back in Daniel when there was an image of Nebuchadnezzar and man was told you either bow down and worship this image or you'll die. Like the young Hebrew children didn't bow down. And they were cast into the burning fire, and yet they didn't die. We know that story. But that's what would have happened. So the majority 
did bow down. So over here, we're going to see during the tribulation time period that Satan is going to cause, first of all, the offerings that are happening inside of the third temple, he's going to cause them to stop. Why? Well, those those sacrifices all reflect on the Old Testament image of Jesus Christ, the lamb who gave us life, the innocent lamb and the blood that was shed all looked at Jesus as the sacrifice for the world. So this so Satan through the Antichrist is going to say those have to stop. No more are we going to allow that to happen. And then what he's going to do, and I love David Jeremiah several years ago when he was teaching on this. I believe he's right. He's going to take an image of self and he's going to go through the outer court where they, the altar would be and the labor would be. He's going to go through the holy place where the light would been and where the, the table of showbread and the altar of incense. And he's going to pass through into the inner most sacred place of the entire temple, which is the Holy of Holies. And he's going to walk in there with his image where the where the mercy seat is. And he's going to say, I am God. I'm God. By the way, that's prophetically what was talked about in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, when when Jesus or excuse me, when Satan was saying, I will be like the most high God. And that's when he's going to declare it. And that's the time when God says that idolatry is at its peak. And that's when the, the harshest part of the entire tribulation is going to happen. Is because this is the what you're seeing here is the ultimate goal of Satan. And it is to be worshipped. Satan desires you to worship him. You say, I have no idol in my home. I do not bow down. I don't say, Lucifer, I love you. I don't do all of those things. I get that. I, I understand that. But you'll notice in the text, when Satan was tempting Jesus Christ, you know, of course, we have the, hey, you're hungry, turn the stones into bread, etc. You know, you're really important, so jump off the, this, you know, whole high, high building and you're going to be lifted up. But this one, is the core of what Satan was all about and is all about. Tell you what, I will give you if you bow down and worship me. There was no image. There was no gold, silver, etc., as I've explained. He is just saying, you can worship me and then I give. Idolatry is about receiving, having, and we're going to see next week that God says idolatry is connected with coveting, covetousness, which is idolatry. So now we're going back to Exodus 20 when God says, thou shalt not covet. What are we not to covet? And God says, when you covet, you're putting something ahead of God. So we got to cover that in detail. A little more that what we, we might see in America's culture as far as how, how idolatry is manifesting itself. You say there's not idolatry in America. I will, well, yeah, trust me, there is. Satan's goal, if, if, and I was trying in my mind to, to try to think of an artistic way for us to envision it. Maybe if we could envision this, this 
pyramid that God is at the very peak and the top. He is number one. God has his creation, man, angels, all of these things that are underneath and all, including angels, worship God. He is number one. You say, well, that just doesn't seem right that there's only one God at the top. Why is God at the top? Because without God, we wouldn't have been created. It goes back to Genesis 1. We worship him because he began it all. He is worthy because of his power to create all things from absolutely nothing. Satan can't do that one. But he wants to get the glory for it. So what does he do? He takes that which is underneath God and gets man to focus on that rather than God himself. Now, follow me. This is the key for the point today in our point today. If Satan can get you and I and the world and our eyes off of God as creator, and we begin to look at creation, whether it is man, nature, things that are here, he has then caused us to take our eyes off of God and onto the creation, and Satan says, I got you. If we worship the creation, we are no longer worshiping the creator. So if we are worshiping anything than God, we are in idolatry. I will have no other gods before me. Period. This is not up for discussion. Nobody gets to vote on it. God is number one. That's it. Israel's prayer, the Deuteronomy 6. He is one Lord. That's it. There are not many. And so in American culture, we are now at a point where we do not believe that anymore. We believe in what the, the term they're using is pluralism. And by the way, that's a fancy word, makes you look like you're really intelligent. And all that it means is idolatry. That's all it means. Many gods. And that's all it is. It's really, really simple. If we have anything outside of God, number one, if we have anything else that we are putting that uh, time, effort, love, service, etc. into, that we're elevating him or it, and our focus is off of him, Satan says, gotcha. So back in, back in Eden, it wasn't really tough. We got this tree. One tree. You can have everything else in the forest, but one tree you're not allowed to have. God says, that's it. That's all I'm laying out for you. Did you ever ask a question? Why did God put that in there in the first place? He knew what man was going to do. He knows man is stupid. You say, well, if I would have been Adam or Eve, I wouldn't have done that. My guess is if it was me, it would have happened quicker. If it would have been Lori there as Eve, it would have happened really quick. Quick. That's a joke. That's a really big joke I'll pay for later. But we, you know, there's this guy, and I'm going to give you, I used this story years ago, but I'll, I'll give you the abridged version of it. This guy's out in, the, out in the field, and he's chopping wood. He's got his axe, and he's, his hands are starting to bleed. This is all Adam's fault. This is all what he brought. I'm sweating because of Adam. So his, uh, his, uh, 
boss comes up and says, what are you saying? He goes, I just went to Sunday school and learned that all of this sin problem is in this earth because of Adam. It's Adam's fault. Can't believe he did this. I wasn't there. Why should I inherit it? It's his fault. He's mad at Adam. He's taking out on this piece of wood and yelling, you know. He said, stop working. Stop. Put the axe down. Come with me. So he takes this young man and he takes him into his parlor and he sits him down. And he says, um, is there anything you would like? Maybe a nice sweet tea or something? He said, well, that would be very nice. So he says, okay, can you get this man some? You hungry? You want something to eat? Well, I haven't eaten for a while. Yeah, I'd like some. Okay, we'll get you some food and you just sit right here. This is yours. You do not have to work. We will take care of you. Everything you need will be given to you. And this guy's thinking, did I just die and go to heaven? What's going on? And before he left the room, he said, now there is just one thing. There's this box that's on the table here. You're not allowed to open it. Okay, that's easy. So day in, day out. All the other servants come in, give this guy his sweet tea, his uh, whatever he wants to eat. Everything's going good. His feet are up, propped up. This is really good. And then eventually he's looking at this box. And he's thinking, now why would he not want me to look inside this box? So the first thing he does is he goes over and he touches it. Just slides it around a little bit. It's like, nope, that's the only thing I don't get to do. I'm sitting back down. A couple of days later, he takes the box and he's doing this, like Christmas. You know, kids of Christmas, got to find out what's in here, you know. And he couldn't figure it out. And you know where we're going with this. Eventually, the guy goes over to it. He says, I can't handle it anymore. So he unlocks it. He opens up the box and he looks. And inside it is something very simple. It's a piece of paper. So he puts it down. He picks up the piece of paper. And it says, you see, if you would have been Adam, you would have done the exact same thing. Go back to work. (laughs) There is this nature that's in us. And we struggle with it. We fight with it. We want to be worshipped. We want to be number one. We want to be the American idol. That's coming on again, I think I heard. (laughs) We want to be viewed by everybody as the greatest and the best as that everybody will want our signature and they're going to want to have, uh, they, they just want to be us. And by the way, I'm prepping you for the book of Ecclesiastes right now. I want to be having the dream. I want everybody to wish they were me. Do you know Satan in his mind is thinking, I'm going to be just like God. I want to receive the worship. And idolatry is literally, it's an adulterated version, a polluted, horrible version of what true worship is all about. He makes it sickening and and ugly and, and dirty. And God's is that of beauty and holiness, coming into the beauty of God's holiness And worshiping him for who he is. And there's no other like it. He is one. Solo. None other. 
So Satan's deception is to say, I give you something if you worship me. It's interesting in the book of Job, Satan flipped it. He comes up with the other angelic fallen beings and he's before the throne of God. And, and God says, okay, Satan, where you been? Oh, just going around to and fro. Remember, first Peter says that Satan is a, is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Just looking. He said to Peter, he said, listen, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. He is trying to rake you over the cold right now. He's trying to destroy you. Satan is not our friend. Okay, so so he's so he's before God and God says, where you been? Okay. And then he says, have you considered my servant Job? For there is none like him in all of the earth. One of the few people that were called perfect in the Old Testament. Perfect man, upright in heart, sacrificing for his kids, got everything together, wise with his money, had, had, had everything together, the richest man to time period. Everything was going good. And what Satan says, listen, you blessed him. You gave all this stuff to him. You start taking that away from him, and he's no, going, no longer going to love you. He's not going to worship you. He's not going to look at you as the one who is the giver of all things in life. You take it from him, he's going to curse you. Instead of blessing God, he's going to actually turn against you and he's going to curse you. So, Satan was permitted to begin to take things away from him. And the more he took away life, wealth, his health, all of these things... And yet, when you get the end of 1 and 2 of Job, he realized the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed. He blessed God, even though all the stuff was taken. Y'all lost some stuff in a flood? Praise the Lord. You say, yeah, you didn't have your house destroyed. No, but I've gone through it with my mother-in-law a couple of times. And it's no fun seeing the tears and everything that's being destroyed and flood, you know, flood, just horrible, the stenches and everything. I get all of that. But folks, it's stuff that is temporary that we fall in love with and we hold on to it. You follow me? It's stuff. In America, stuff. Is what it's about. And in the scriptures, God says, I know what you have need of before you even ask. Have food and raiment. Be there with content. And we stop and realize whether we have or we do not have, the one thing we do have is God. And he is all I need. He is my sufficiency. He is my love. I am his bride. One day he's going to be taking me and ushering me up into heaven. And I'm going to be in that mansion, that wonderful place that God is creating for me. But right now here, the reason I'm going to answer the question I gave earlier, why did he put that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in that garden in the first place? Why did he do this? Because he wants you and I to choose him. This garbage of, we don't have a will. We can't choose him. Baloney. It's all through the scriptures, including Genesis. 
you and I all have a will and the choice. Are we going to choose him, first of all, for salvation? Secondly, are we going to choose him to serve him and that he's going to be number one in my life? Or am I going to allow stuff to get in the way? My ambitions and my, my goals and my jobs and my monies and the things that I have. Is that number one? Is that my attention? Follow me. Is that what I adore? Or thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your might. That he's number one. Put him back on the throne of your heart. As I do the same thing every moment of every day. Wouldn't it be nice if you just all of a sudden say, okay, God's king of my life. I'm good now. The rest of my life doesn't work that way. Because Satan's in there saying, I'm going to pull the rug out. And I'm going to make things hard. And let's see if you still love Jesus after you lose everything. Your health is going just like Job's. How about going to the posture and scraping the boils so you feel relief? Haven't gone through that one, and yet he did. Haven't lost any children, Job did. And he didn't char- charge God foolishly. He didn't get bitter and angry at God. He did want a confrontation later on, and God straightened him out really quickly on that one in Job 38. And he went back to creation. Job, you want to talk? Okay. Where were you when I created everything? Everything. When the angelic beings were there and praising me as they were watching and seeing Genesis 1 unfold. Where were you, Job? Did you design this thing? You know how to make a sun? You know how to make a moon? Do you have the material to create these things? And Job went, got nothing. It's amazing how when we see God as our powerful creator and the one that deserves our worship, how we we become still and know that he is God, no matter what is going on. Though the raging storms and all these things are coming our way, we just stop and we say, I'm going to be still because God is still on my throne. I will worship him. He is still good. He is always good. No matter what is happening in the world and the circumstances and the shootings and everything else is not God's fault. It's because man is wicked, sinful inside. And as one officer said, we have witnessed evil. Evil to desire to take the life of others whether it is by a gun or whether it is by a car mowing people over, or if they choose the old school hammers. If you didn't know that, that was a weapon of choice for a long time. It's, it's not a weapon, it's the heart. Man will always find a way to destroy, whether it's in the school or out of the school. And man has said, I want to be known. Even if it is an infamy, even I'm looked at as the bad guy, at least my name's going to be said. It's all about me. And I get the attention on Fox News, CNN. They're going to gloat. I'm going to have a lawyer over here saying, oh, he's just a victim. He's just a victim of the circumstances, you know, a hard life. No, the guy's psycho. You say, no, he's not insane. You put him on an electric chair and you say, you're about to die. He'll get sane really, really quick. He'll know exactly what's going on. 
There is a, there, so, so we worship. And, and, and so Satan is trying to get people and their minds off of God and on self and on things. It's not an image. It's stuff. And it's image. I'll give you this, Jesus. Look at the power you can have right now. You don't have to go to a cross. You don't have to go through this resurrection and ascension. You don't have to wait till the end of the tribulation. Have the kingdom now. That dying on the cross, that's not really all that important. You can have your kingdom now and all the glory of it. That the world will look at you and say, you're the man. And he quickly used the scriptures. He said, no, you're wrong. By the way, when we are tempted, may the word of God be dwelling in our hearts and our minds that we quickly think of verses to combat the temptation that Satan has. That's why we're to memorize the word. I don't memorize as much as I used to. Getting older. The mind isn't quite as crisp as it used to be. Remember in school, man, we had 100 verses every semester. Man, we're pounding all these verses out. You say you memorized all of them, you still got them? Nope. Nope, the mind comes and goes. But there's powerful ones that have, have been kept in my mind and my heart that give me guidance. What do I do? What do I not do? I was with, I was with people not long ago. And the longer I was with these people, the more they were beginning to talk about other people. And the more they were starting to rip other people apart in, in Christian love. And the longer I'm there, the more upset I'm becoming. And the more I realize they're going to think I'm in on all this. So I said, tell you what, can I have a word of prayer and go? That's literally what I did. Because I found myself thinking, oh, yeah, I could tell you a few things about some people. I could rip into some people, too, right now. Names and what they did and everything. And all that I'd be doing out of pride is lifting myself up by condemning others. Do you know that's the fall of Satan? Lifted up with pride. So I quickly said, nope. James 3, tongue can be nothing but bitter poison, hurting and hurting other people. I'm not going to be part of this. I prayed and I got out of there as quickly as I possibly could. Temptations and things are all around us. And the question is, are we going to say, God, you're right, you have it down, and I'm not going to go along with this garbage. Or are we going to say, God, you're, you're on the throne of my heart. Right now, this moment, I'm going to put your word to action, and I'm going to do what you tell me to do, not what the world and even the Christian world does. We need to be thinking on our feet and not reacting as Christians. Well, everybody else does it. Yeah, and when, you're, when your kids told you that, what did you tell them? Are they jump off the cliff or are you going to follow them? All right, that's what he said, you know. No, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do something stupid like that. Of course not, yeah. But just because others are doing it doesn't make it right. Focus, focus. God, the Word, Holy Spirit teaching you, guiding, open up, and he'll say, this is the right thing to do. You go forward with that and you'll not regret it. Because we're putting God first and we're worshiping him. And we're relying on his power and his character to guide us in our life. The world's philosophy 
is so far off and don't even realize they have taken Satan's lie, hook, line, and sinker. And the only thing that John 8 tells us about Satan's goal is this. In the very beginning, he was a liar, he's a deceiver, and he's a murderer. That's all he wants to do. If we understood, listen, you have no idea what I went through all last night getting ready for this message. This is a tough one for me today. And every time I get ready to talk about Satan, buddy, I am under the oppression. He hates it when I talk about the enemy. And right now, there may be just one person that leaves this building and says, Preacher, I got it. And from now on, I'm going to be realizing Satan is manipulating, trying to do something to get my focus off of God and on something else. It could be your health. It could be your wealth. It could be your job. It could be some kind of security, protection, whatever it is. Or you're wanting this. And all that is your attention and heart and your love. And you've got your eyes off of Jesus and you're messing up. Totally out of focus. You're getting bitter. You're getting angry. These are the things that are animated as a result of taking God off of the throne and putting ourselves up there. I'm in control. And your preacher is as guilty as anybody in this room of it at times. If we're just honest. If we're just really, and this is what we need in Christianity, is real honesty. We've got to be real for the world that we're living in. Jesus immediately used the word, so I'm giving you the answer how to fix the problem. He immediately quoted that scripture and gave it to the enemy. And there was an immediate victory as a result of that. Yay! You want to be victorious? Get the word in your heart. Thy word have I hid on my heart that I might not sin. The, the word's got to be there. And then living out what we know, practicing what we know. And that's where, the way we put God first. That's what Jesus did. That's what Eve didn't do. Matter of fact, she's like, eh, you know, can't be all that bad. I know he said death's going to come. Can't hurt that bad. That's looking really cute and nice. Why doesn't God want me to have it? Well, Satan says, because he knows the day you eat, you're going to become just like him. You're going to become gods. Are you getting it? Promises. Satan has no authority to say you can become God. And that's the lie that he has been given the world. That you are elevated. You become the idol. Doesn't look that bad. Can't hurt that much. I'd know a lot more. God's always keeping me suppressed. This will be great. She eats of that fruit, and immediately eyes are opened up to right and wrong. And to this day, we still battle with that knowledge that has permeated the whole world, this whole universe, until down the road, as we talked about last year, God's going to finally clean it all up. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt love the Lord God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, all thy mind. We are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
all these things will be added unto us. We, as we're told here, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And I close with this. What we worship, we will serve. What we adore, we're going to put our money, time, and efforts into that. And he is saying, Satan is saying, put that into me and I will give. Next week we're going to get into this a little bit more. But I have to ask myself a question. And I asked you this question, and we're going to talk about it a little more in Ecclesiastes. When you work, who you serve, how you serve, is it affected by who our focal point is? If the focal point is me, that my job, my career, everything is about me and not God, isn't the ambition then of our work going to be altered and changed? You want a business started? If God's your focal point, you're going to be building it on integrity. If you're doing it for you in a quick fix, you're going to do it through corruption. What's going to get me most now? Not long term. I want it now. When I go to work tomorrow, am I going to say, I'm serving you, God, or am I going in serving me? Trying to get my, my uh, self up the ladder, corporate ladder. Am I trying to do for me? And what, jo- what Joseph taught us is this. In your work and your service, if you keep God first, he will then honor you and elevate you in that position. And you will continue to glorify God. Really works, by the way. Joseph is an incredible, incredible, incredible man of God. Learned so much from him and his character. And we can see David, we can see so many others that put the heart into God and putting him first. And God says, then I'm going to lift you up. Because now you can handle it. But if you're elevated too quickly and on your own, you'll quickly fall. And that's why I close with this. This preacher, including Dave and Nathan and other guys that are thinking about going into ministry and and such. God says this, you better not be a novice. Lest being lifted up with pride, you fall into the exact same condemnation of the devil. And we got to be ready, folks. I'm telling you right now, I'm not saying Jesus is coming this week. But I know one thing. We are one day closer today than we were yesterday. And I really think that we as a nation and this church and your preacher included, sometimes we can put God to the side... And not keep him first as the ultimate reason of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And we put ourselves on the throne and my goals and my ambitions. And God says, you just got out of step with me. And Satan says, gotcha. And he laughs. Because now you're doing it your way. Instead of God's way. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all thy ways, acknowledge Him. And what's God going to do then? He's going to direct your paths. Make those paths straight. However you want to translate it, it goes really good then. And I want your life to be really good.
because you're keeping God first. Father, thank you for the time. Lord, I don't know how this word translated. I don't know how it went in the hearts of others, but I know how it permeated my heart. And I pray that somebody else has got a hold of your word today and that they now are going to realize that they've been doing it their way and not your way. Lord, we have seen how Satan deceives. We have seen how to be victorious. We have the answers because we have your word, Lord. It is ours to do it. It is ours to practice. And I say from Lord bottom of my heart, forgive me when I do not put you first. Forgive me when I'm doing it in my own ways and strengths. Forgive me when I do not pastor the way I should. Forgive me when I'm not the husband I should be, the dad, grandpa, the Christian that I should be. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves before you and see ourselves as you do. Help us, Lord, to look in the mirror of the word. And may this then create a revival in our hearts. Lord, would you reveal the pride, the times when we feel we're the authority and we know it all. Father, forgive us. Help us, Lord, to humbly be before your throne. And help us to recognize the enemy. Lord, I don't know the hearts of each one, but you do. There have been some here in this room that realize they don't have Jesus. They don't know him, and they've had their own gods. And it's time for them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. May they call on you now. Heads by and eyes closed. I know this hasn't really been a salvation message, but, my friend, if you are worshiping any other than God through the person of Jesus Christ, you need to change that. It's time to recognize that God loves you enough that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. And three days later, he rose again for you. That's the good news. If you by faith believe in him, he'll save you just the way you are. Just say something like this, dear God, I know that in your sight I am a sinner. And I know that's why you sent Jesus to give his life for me. I now call on you to forgive me, to come into my heart. Help me now, Lord, to serve you all the days of my life. Father, I love you. Help me to keep you first always in my life. We pray that we really rejoice with you. Let me or someone know after the service. Let's stand together.